Welcome to Lost Cast, episode 172. I'm Matt Hackett. And I'm Jeff Blair. I should be sounding much less sick. Yeah, I, I forgot about that. You Fresh sound, and clean. You sound like regular Matt now. I do. Last week was weird because I was fired up. I remember right after the podcast, which I already probably shouldn't have done because I, I sounded like death. <laughs> uh, I, for some reason, I also streamed twice that week for a good like three to four hours each. Yeah, stream. you did. That was pretty cool. And do you do you want to hear more of this, kids? <laughs> this is how you draw a sprite for Soul Thief. <laughs> it's like you've I don't been know why for thirty years. Why would I do that to myself? I was just fired up. I guess Pax got me full of energy. <laughs> or you know, you were like sick. Your brain wasn't board. functioning correctly. Yeah. You're delirious. I think that's part of it. I had do. a fever. <laughs> I honestly do. <laughs> so last week was kind of the Matt show. <laughs> the Matt show with that weird voice. And uh, this week's going to be kind of the Jeff show. But right off the bat, we got two new patrons. Ooh. Welcome, Vincent and John. Thank you very much. Thanks for your generosity. Uh, and that's all we're going to say about that because you guys don't want to hear it. <laughs> that's right. Uh, as you've said. But that's cool. So thank you very much for your support. You can always check us out at patreon.com slash lost decade games. I'll put a link in the show notes, but now I'm going to drill you about technical stuff. You ready? I'm ready. So you want to talk about pits first, huh? Well, we have three things to talk about. Three technical issues. Uh, and then one about. design. Yes, yes. Uh, so pits in AWL2 or you know, how to rip off Legend of Zelda pits and put them in your own game. <laughs> How to slowly clone Legend of Zelda over four years. That's what this podcast should be renamed. Uh, and then I want to talk about uh, target leading math. Ooh, that one's fun. I like that. And this one's interesting because I, I think you and I have both been kind of searching for that and wanting to work on that for years. Yeah. Right? And we never did because it's, uh, it's kind of a harder problem than you'd think. And then lastly, I want to talk about um, some particle optimization. Ooh. So I like this of... because I like particles, and one of the things that makes me sad about HTML5 is you need to be kind of conservative with your particles, and I don't want to be. Right. I don't want it. Don't want it. <laughs> more, more particles. Anyway, so uh, for the pits, yeah. So you and I had talked about pits in AWL2 for a while. Yeah, it came up on Steam recently, too. Oh, did it? Yeah. I uh, missed that post, I guess. But anyways. Uh, somebody wanted to see jumping. It might have been serious. Jumping, and we have talked about it. I had a lot to say about that. Might have been on a stream. My memory is fuzzy, I but you it, you actually did it. You were just like, and you just like slammed it on the table and you walked away. <laughs> Bam! Hits, hits. Mic drop. Yeah, mic drop. I'm out of here. That's right. Um, it was actually a lot easier than I thought. It was kind of one of those problems where it's like the abstract of the problem is a lot more complicated than the solution in reality. Wow. Uh, because deep. when you, when you think about it, you're like, you know, okay, how do you have something fall down, blah, blah, blah. But it's all just fakery, right? <laughs> like That's when in you the keep... design document. <laughs> when the player approaches pits, we want blah, blah, blah. And how did, how do we do that? Uh, especially when you're talking about our perspective, right? Like falling in a pit and it such going platform is a lot more understandable, right? Yeah, for sure. Because like, you okay. go down, gravity has taken you. It's, it's very understandable. Right. But in a three-quarter overhead action game, that is a dimension the game doesn't really support that well. No, and actually, you know, kind of touching on that previous comment about jumping, uh, our game simulation has no concept of height off the ground, really. So it's just a 2D 
simulation. It's like completely 2D simulation. Yeah. Yeah, so like any, everything exists on the floor, so to speak. Right. Any kind of Z-axis is faked. If it right. looks like something's floating or if it looks like something is going, quote, up into the world, which would be your Z-axis in this case, uh, it doesn't happen. We fake all that. That's right. But anyways, uh, continuing on the road to fakery. <laughs> Fool the players, then they'll love you for it. I think we've been talking about the pits idea, you know, how, how should pits act? Because, you know, we have pits in the game. They exist. Um, and, and they're actually kind of cool in some senses because <laughs> game design-wise, they kind of fulfill a unique uh, role in the game, right? Like you yeah, have blocks, and blocks uh, prevent movement because they're solid. Yep. Um, but they also, like, have some, I guess what we call height to them, right? Even though I just said we don't have the concept of height, but like, you know, we treat that block as if nothing can really penetrate it. It's a solid block. Nothing can pass through it. Right. Solid block. Whereas pits are like solid to some entities, but not solid to others. Right. So it's kind of like the same idea, but not all the time. And I think that's sort of an interesting uh, game design, you know, thing to have because, yes. you know, in, in our game, obviously you can fire things across pits, but you can't move across them. So it kind of creates weird spaces. Yeah. Uh, or things can shoot you across the pit, but you may not be able to tail with them or something. Yeah. Um, and then blocks also create, you know, an interesting uh, gameplay mechanic. But I was playing the other day, and I just, I was playing the courtyard a lot, because actually I put a whole bunch of rooms with various pits in the courtyard. And I was playing them over and over again, and I kind of found that, like, I just, the pits just didn't feel very pity. <laughs> if that makes I sense. pity the pit, but don't I, feel like a pit. That's right. I pity the pit. Uh, like just bumping up against them felt kind of weird, you know, especially when they kind of have this graphic that like looks like you should be able to step into them. Yeah. The earlier levels especially have that. It just looks like a a drop off. Like I could walk over that if I wanted to. So it's like part of it's just like a game feel thing. And then the other part's also like how the visuals kind of inform your brain (laughs) about what you're seeing. And it's like when you look at kind of like a jagged pit edge that looks like it just drops away from the floor, you're like why you know it feels very unnatural to just hit like a hard wall it's like in those third person 3d games where there's this little barricade made up of like some chairs on their side and you can't go that way and you're like i'm a human i, I can walk over some chairs <laughs> right you know it's it's kind of it kind of kills your immersion especially when the game tries to be realistic like at least, at least we don't have that but it still hits that part of the brain that's like this doesn't feel right yeah and like you know we don't have really discrete collision um, kind of at the tile level. And so it's like either an entire tile is impassable or not. Yeah. Um, and so just because of the way the tiles are drawn sometimes, you know, there's a little bit of overlap. And so you kind of stop. You hit this invisible wall before you hit the edge of the pit necess- uh, right. visually. Maybe. Yeah, it didn't feel great. And, and I mean, you know, there's things we can do about that. We can make the line, that invisible line, closer to the edge of the pit to make it feel better or whatever. But yeah. Um, something else that we talked about was, you know, kind of the Legend of Zelda approach pitch. Legend of Zelda 3, I guess. Link uh, to the Past. Link to the Past. Although, you know, Link to the Past does actually do even cooler things with pits because they have this kind of, you know, level 1, level 2, level 3 thing and you can actually fall down floors. We could. And, and it matters. Yeah, we could actually do that. Um, that was um, <laughs> when I was explaining this to Melissa. She was like, that was her first question. Do you fall down to the previous level? <laughs> yes. <laughs> And you're like, of course. I'm like, yeah. Um, that would be really hard for us because of our dungeon generation. 
Um, right. We I don't think have it'd to be really hard. We have to store either the previous room or previous dungeon in memory, or we would need to regenerate it, which might feel strange. Yeah, well, storing it in memory actually wouldn't be that big of a deal. Because hmm. it means it's already stored in memory um, when it's being played. And so instead of just discarding it when the next level is generated, we could just put it somewhere. Hmm. And then say, you know, uh, <laughs> at any point in time, we could just say, instead of generating a new dungeon, like load up this previously generated dungeon. So, I mean, it's it's doable. I mean, I'm, I'm sure it would take a couple days of work and there would be some weird edge cases here and there. But, you know, by and large, it's a fairly easy problem. Well, here's Jeff. Promising to ship that. <laughs> right. Swearing a blood oath on Lost Cast. No. <laughs> I, I think the bigger question for us is not, is it a hard implementation, but is it something that would actually improve the game? And, I, and my feeling is no, because the game wasn't designed with traversing multiple levels that way. You know, in, uh, Players already, they complain about having to backtrack a little bit, like a couple of rooms. Yeah, can you imagine if you fell through a pit and all of a sudden you were a, com- <laughs> no. a whole level back and you're no. like... And it was an empty level you already cleared. Like no players would hate that. Yeah, but it works in a game like Link to the Past because you have these curated dungeons that, like, you know, it's part of the puzzle of the dungeon. Sometimes, right? They, you, like it. It depend. Like the puzzles depend on it. Right. And yeah, so like, it's a pretty good uh, like overlap between the gameplay and the puzzle solving. Whereas right. we wouldn't have that harmony, and so it would feel like this kind of tacked on. Like, yeah, you can screw yourself and fall down to the previous level if you want. <laughs> if you want, <laughs> I don't know why you would. Yeah, but you can. Uh, anyways, so I just decided that I was going to prototype, um, like the falling effect. Uh, I wasn't necessarily going to have like falling down to the next platform. Yeah. Cause that's like a second step anyway. Even if we wanted to go that direction, that is not the first thing to work on. Yeah. And that's how Link to the Past works is most of the time when you fall down a pit, uh, there, well, there are some pits that are just like, you take some damage here, like most water and most pits, honestly. And it just remembers the last place you were that was sound like solid, stable ground. Yeah, and it returns you there, and you take a damage, and you either die or you go on your merry way. Merry way, indeed. Yeah. Um. So what I what I did was just work on code that kind of just detects if you're over a pit. I don't know how why it took me kind of so long to think about that problem, but um, I was. Uh, it's not like I'd been really working on that specifically, but for some reason I was doing something, and it just occurred to me maybe I was dreaming or something. <laughs> And I started thinking about this pit implementation, and I was like, you know, like really all this is, is you just look at the player, or look at the tile the player is under, and if it is a pit, you essentially stun them for a second, and then play an animation of them spinning around, and then you teleport them. Once that animation is done, you teleport them back to some empty square. Right. So, like, all the pieces we had exist in the game world. You know, when I was thinking about this problem initially, it was kind of scary because I was like, well, that's going to, like, I'm going to have to change something at the engine level, right? Like, that's going to be, that's such a fundamental change, right? You'd think. You'd think. At at least that's, like, kind of where my head was at at first. And so I didn't even really want to think about it too much. Uh, But then for some reason, when I was thinking about it just subconsciously, it occurred to me that, like, there's really no concept of falling, right? It's There's no height. Everything is just fakery, and really all you need to do is, you know, stun the player and then teleport them later or whatever, at least for the simple effect. Right. Um, And so it was really nice because actually all I had to do was write a little entity um, that basically when you, when the player is detected over a pit, or really anything is detected over a pit, it just spawns this entity on top of them called a fall entity. And the fall entity, all it does is it attaches to them 
and it stuns them and then it waits a certain amount of time and also fires an event to say like hey you're falling (laughs) and then you know the visuals can react however they want to the fall and so by default it's like spin around and scale down and uh, i remember now you actually pinged me and you said matt i need help with the polish stuff (laughs) yeah i'm like ooh, that's my domain (laughs) here we go i can actually help with that it's relevant to my interests that's right yeah well, I also wanted to show it off, so I was like, Matt, let's, let's work on this together. <laughs> Come look at my new shiny and help me finish it. Exactly. Fun. Um, so anyways, it turned out to be really easy. Um, it's kind of one of those things, though, where once I got into it, it, the actual the hardest part about it was the actual detection of whether or not the player should fall. Mm. Whether, uh, once I determined that the player should fall, that is all the easy parts, right? Stun them wait two seconds or whatever, play the animation, and then teleport them to an open square, which is a pretty simple algorithm, right? So once you get to that point, that's pretty easy. It is, right? But determining if they should fall actually was a little trickier than I thought because it's not just as easy as like, you know, my first pass was like, okay, if the player's center point is ever in a pit, then, you know, fall. It's too aggressive though, right? Way too aggressive, right? Because... Uh, basically what happens is the edges of the pits, right, are, are actually pits. Those tiles are pits. And, um, you know, what would happen basically as soon as the player's center passed, like, the invisible wall that you would have normally butted up against, um, which is pretty conservative from a movement restriction perspective, right? But it also feels way too aggressive for a pit, right? Because then you'd be like, you know, visually nowhere near the edge of the pit and you'd be falling into it. That's easy, right? You just solve that with some math. You use the coalition of penetration. <laughs> the coalition of penetration. what that's called, yeah. That sounds like a, some kind of sinister supervillain group. Yeah, that sounds mathy. Yeah. Mathish. <laughs> so how'd you solve it? I don't know if this is the best way to do it, but what <laughs> I did... just stop there. I don't know. I don't know. It's solved, but I don't know how I solved it. I wrote some math, and then it, it just works. I, no. I typed math, question mark, and JavaScript <laughs> somehow parsed it. I'm like, just back away slowly. Don't question it. Don't question it. I think what I did is I took the average distance to a non... Or, or to a solid tile, for example. So basically, from the player center, I looked at all the tiles that were around the tile that they are in, right? So, like, if you can picture a nine by nine grid of yep. tiles, essentially, right? Like, you have well, is it nine by nine, or do you just need like a three by three? Or sorry, uh, three by three. Sorry, nine th- total tiles. Nine totals. Yes, and a three by three. Yeah, I think my brain broke there. Yeah, three by three, and uh, so you have the player in the center tile, whatever their center point is, even if they're kind of off axis a little bit. You know, yep. they're in the center. And so I look at all the tiles uh, around that particular tile. And for any of them that are solid, I calculate their, the average distance uh, among those solid tiles. Okay. And that way I can get kind of a threshold of how far away the player is from any solid ground. Hmm. And then at that point, you know, I played with it until i found a value that was like okay this feels about right when the player gets this on average this far away from solid ground then they should fall so if you are approaching a pit that's kind of surrounded by 
solid. Like, and when you say solid, you mean walkable, right? I mean walkable, yeah. Okay, so if if you're like solid well, ground in this case. Okay. Yeah. So if you're walking over a pit and it's it's almost like a C shape, it's like a peninsula, right? It's like locked in mostly. Right. It'll be harder to fall in that because there's more solid ground around. Uh, it shouldn't be harder to fall into it. Really, what happens is that like there's just a buffer around the edges of the pit. Okay. Right. You can think about it. if you visualize it that way, it's a little easier, right? There's there's you don't fall into a pit immediately. You have to get a certain amount away from the edge. Right. Until you fall in. And so, I mean, theoretically, it shouldn't make any difference um, how large the pit is itself. Although I'm sure there's some weird edge cases where, like, you know, we don't really have one tile pits anyway. Like a yeah. single tile that would just be one pit. We can't draw it. We can't. Our engine doesn't draw it. So it's got to be two by two. So it would be less surrounded. Right. So how did you find this solution? Did you just trial and error? Did you Google it, see it on a forum? Um, that particular one I just kind of thought about because I tried some stuff to begin with where I was like, okay, look at the minimum distance to any solid ground tile. Mm-hmm. But that didn't work the way I wanted it to. So I was like, well, let's try taking the average. Hmm. And uh, who knows? I mean, this method could be... <laughs> It's like I, I kind of came up with this method by, you know, I guess trial and error. You know, I was playing yeah. with like, okay, let's try calculating it this way and seeing what the numbers look like. And then let's set the threshold to this and then let's play it a bunch and see, you know, how it feels to fall in pits. Um, and then so I arrived at a place that I thought was pretty decent using that. that nice. Method. So who knows? I mean, maybe you'll see that in, a, in an upcoming update. So it's not in there yet? No, it's not. Were you working in a branch? I work in a lot of branches, Matt. <gasps> That's shocking. I know, right? You weird people who work in branches, other than Master. <laughs> you just don't see my branches very often. Uh, you know, I don't usually fetch everything. Yeah. I just get what I need, but maybe I should. I should poke around and be like, what is this? What is this branch? What are you doing? What Stop is it. the Matt Sucks branch? How dare you? <laughs> What's in there? <laughs> it's my secret branch where I just like, you know, commit a bunch of... Uh, slanderous comments against you <laughs> into the code. You go in there and you vent. You remove yeah. all my code I added because you're like, ugh, look how ugly this is. It's like my personal diary. <laughs> Dear diary, today, May 3rd. <laughs> today I cut some of Matt, cut Matt's code. That'll teach him. <laughs> I'll talk about it on the podcast. <laughs> uh, He'll be so humiliated. That's right. Uh, I do a flawless Jeff. That's true. It's spot on. Sound just like you. <laughs> I think your Jeff was better last week when you were all horsey. Oh, that's probably true. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I'm not going to try it. I hurt my throat again. <laughs> that's right. So you can fall in pits. Uh, and I saw that working. And then we really quickly, we got the hooks in place. It was really just, here's an event that gets fired. And when that event gets fired, I'm going to grab the... And it was really easy with the way our code is set up. It was just, I'm going to grab the view, which is a Raga view in this case, or whatever player happens to be playing as... And we're going to rotate it around, and we're going to scale it down to zero or somewhere around there, and then fade out the opacity. Yeah. When we were playing with it, uh, zero actually looks kind of bad because, like, we've got to keep in mind the perspective of the actual game. Yeah. Like, because zero makes it look like, you know, he's disappearing into this deep, deep canyon, right? Like, yeah. he just, he falls so far, he becomes a speck. Out of sight. Out of sight. But really, we want it to look more like, you know, he fell like a story, like, you know, 20 yeah. feet maybe. The way the backgrounds, I think they're at 40%. I could check, though, in my graphic files. But we have these repeating parallax scrolling 
uh, patterns that uh, are sometimes drawn below the pits. Some levels are just straight up black. Can't see anything below them. Some have uh, repeating tiles that lets you kind of like, you know, see what the low level would look like a little bit. And I believe they're 40% scale. So maybe we should scale Raga to that. Oh, yeah, maybe. I kind of want to see what he would look like, this tiny little Raga, 40% walking around down there. <laughs> we make a little mini game where you fall down a pit and you have to solve like a second little yeah. room down there. And you can like only see your character through the pits above, Ooh. you know? Yeah. So it's kind of like, you ever play like those, Uh, I guess, you know, there's something like that in Zelda too. You know, it was one of those mazes where you're like in a, a bunch of trees or something and there's like a path through the trees. Yeah. But you kind of have to like, you can't really see your character all the time. Yeah, Lost Woods kind of has that. Uh, I guess it does, like in the... You go through those tree trunks. Yeah, through those tree trunks. You can't see. And then the... Um... The other, like the desert temple or yeah. something. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> Nothing new under the sun. It's been, yeah, been done. Not just been done. It was done 25 years ago. Right. And we're like, crap. How do we make this <laughs> modern? Yeah. I swear we're modern... Game designers. Oh, I so I think the problem with the pits right now, though, is that um, it's probably going to be a problem from the AI perspective, right? Because now, mm -hmm. like, okay, the player can fall in pits. That's fine, right? But now the AI has to know, like, hey, I shouldn't go near those pits because <laughs> yeah, crows reasons. are kind of dumb now. Yeah, they'll just kind of fall into the pit repeatedly. Um, you know, they could just look at pits as if they were solid, perhaps. They don't even look at solid tiles now, though, is the problem. I like, see. The, so what happens is, is that when the physics engine says, like, hey, you collide with a wall and you can't move there, it throws an event. Right. And then the thing says, like, oh, I should turn around. I should not bash my head into this wall repeatedly. Yeah, as opposed to, you know, the other side, uh, or the way this would have to work is where they would have to actively look at where they were heading. Yeah. And say, like, oh, I don't want to go into a pit or... Or something. And I think that complicates their behavior a lot. It makes them a lot less yeah. understandable. And we did that for the crows and stuff in the courtyard, which I think right. we talked about on a previous podcast because the thorns. Because of the thorns, yeah. Yeah. So they already have like this hazard avoidance. So it wouldn't really be that difficult to just say, also, don't go into pits. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but it adds up, right? And that computation is expensive for us. It can be. I mean, you know, as long as there aren't so many of them. 50 crows. And it's not a too bad. A whole murder I mean, of crows. Flocking is uh, is not... I mean, it's, probably, it's more computationally expensive than not, I guess. Watch watch your language. It's a G-rated podcast. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> we will have no flocking discussion on this podcast. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so uh, when are we going to see that change? Uh, I guess what I'm saying is maybe never. Why? Well, we have to the crows? solve the game design uh, mm. aspects. And we're bad at game design, <laughs> so that's going to be really hard. <laughs> I mean, I think I would like to see it in the game, but yeah. it's one of those things where we just added the mechanic at all. Yeah. And so now what needs to happen is I probably need to turn it on and master for a week. Right. And let us play with it. And then, you know, you and I can say like, wow, this is terrible. Or, hey, this is pretty fun. Or, hey, this would be great if only blah. Yeah. One thing I like that it solves is in the library right now, the pits have that kind of, they just fall off. You know, they get all tattered looking and they just cut off and there are globes everywhere and you smash a globe and it goes flying around the room much like a billiards ball and it bounces off of the edges at the moment. Right. Which works and most of the time you don't really think about like, that's weird, right? Right. <laughs> but when you pay close attention to it, you're realizing that the globes are rolling, they approach a pit, which they should just fall off the edge, but instead they bounce and they make a sound, a little puff and they 
go the opposite direction. It yeah, this potentially solves all kinds of issues too, like um, a coin. You know, if you if there's something mm, flying over yeah. a pit and it drops a coin, then the coin will essentially fall into the pit and then get teleported out into the uh, to the nearest available space. So that's kind of yeah. Cool. This code base is so old, it has like five different ways of uh, for entities to generate stuff, especially when they take damage or they die. Like when they die alone, there's a soul they could pop out. There's loot they could pop out. Some of them pop out uh, blood or guts or blood puddles, that kind of thing. There's so many different ways entities can spawn stuff. And the code is kind of riddled with edge cases where it'll be like, okay, I'm going to drop a soul, but I don't want to do it over pits. And like, unless the thing that I'm spawning is flying too, like floating, then like there's a bunch of edge cases. Yeah. Um, it's something else we'll have to uh, figure out with the pits too, is like what, like how to projectiles that, like globes, for example, like are globes rolling on the ground and they should just roll into a pit I think and so. then get teleported onto land where then they continue to roll or they just stop rolling? They just sit there? I think they can have a flag where when they fly off the pit, they're just done. Right. Pits kill me equals true. <clears throat> so, yeah. And then I guess we'd still want, you know, things like fireballs and swords and whatnot that are flying through the air to just pass right over pits. Just ignore pits, yeah. Yeah. So lots of problems to solve. Yeah. Anyways, it's uh, it's interesting to work on, and hopefully it'll see the light of day. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, cold's not totally gone yet. <clears throat> oh, no. Still lingering. So uh, maybe we'll see some pits, but before that, we will... Will we see target leading? We are already seeing target leading. Ooh. So target leading, <laughs> let's explain it. There is some math you can do. I'm feeling more confident with math all the time. In code recently, I've been like, I've had no problem doing circular stuff. Like, Ooh, let's nice. say I want, I want a bunch of particles to appear around me in a circle and, like, rotate around me or something. Easy. I can do it now without, like, oh, God, math. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I can just, I can type it out with, with you know, usually I don't have, have to look anything up. That's great. <laughs> All this 30 years after calculus classes. Well, maybe <laughs> 20 years. Anyway, uh, so... Oh, it's a really common thing in a game to be like, I want to shoot a projectile and I want to shoot it at that dude. And that dude can be anywhere on the screen. And when you're using just two dimensions, you really just have to calculate a 2D vector. And you want to know basically the heading that you want to travel from A, from you know X1, Y1 to X2, Y2 kind of thing, right? right. But if, uh, like a lot of games have this where, you know, something's going to shoot at me, I'm just going to get out of the way and not going to be a problem, right? But leading is where you look at the trajectory of the thing that's moving and you plan out where it's going to be. And there's a lot of complication there, right? As you'll, I'm sure you'll talk about, but it's like, where are you going to be and when, and I want to shoot my projectile so that given how my projectile travels, like its trajectory, it'll be there when you are going to be there. Right. So it almost kind of needs to look through time through two trajectories and calculate that big mess. Right. Which, you know, is kind of a big mess. Yeah. So we, we've talked about it before and we like to do it and i think we've maybe even tried before but it's been like i mean you know we we're smart we could figure it out we can do it but it's been the kind of thing where like oh, okay you know what yeah i yeah, spent too long on it basically and it doesn't does it really get you that much like maybe i don't know but i think we've worked on it before but it never we never really sealed the deal but we've kind of always wanted to anyway yeah well it came up because uh added these shield generator entities to the wizard's lab and what they want to do is they want to shoot shield projectiles that shield their target at the enemies, your enemies, I like that but, one a lot. but they're friends, I guess. <laughs> but, you know, they're they're buddies. I like that. It's it's very shenanigan inducing. It is very like uh, the uh, the whole effect is really great. 
but the enemies move, right? The enemies, a lot of them are constantly on the move. And so when I had the code such that like the shield generator would just look at, say like, oh, there's a pig head or whatever. And I want to shoot a shield at it. Like I'm just going to shoot a straight line from where I am to where it's at. Uh, And my projectile moves at whatever speed. Right. Um, But I would miss a lot. Because, you know, you're aiming at where it is now, not where it's going. And so by the time, even if the projectile is traveling relatively fast, you know, something on the complete other side of the screen is also moving at some pace. And, like, you know, it's probably gone by the time your projectile gets there. It's chasing the puck, Jeff. It is chasing the puck. You want to go where the puck's going to be, not where the puck is. It's like hockey. It is. Game dev is like hockey. Everything is like hockey, (laughs) apparently. As often fights break out, you throw off your gloves. That's right. (laughs) Sometimes people die. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I hope that's not true. Someone will score at least one point, just like game. Okay. Anyways, moving on. No more. So how'd you do it? Did you look up an article? Did you just sit there and type random math expressions <laughs> until something clicked? <laughs> right. Um, no, that one actually took a lot of reading <clears throat> because, you know, it's it's actually kind of complicated the, to figure. I mean, it's probably not complicated for someone who's good at math. <laughs> <laughs> but like nothing's I, complicated to people who are good at math they have the not. universe figured out difficulty is always like a spectrum of your you know your knowledge right like if you were to pluck someone who is a physicist and they'd be like yeah like finding that that calculate like i could do that calculation in 10 minutes on the back of a napkin you know g-rated podcast jeff there'll be no plucking <sighs> you can pluck no mathematicians <laughs> <laughs> You know, this would be really easy for Will Hunting. He'd walk in and be like, this is a joke. Leading, target leading is a joke. I could do it in my sleep. It's probably true. He would. But to, you know, a moron like me. That's right. Yeah, it's very difficult. <laughs> um, but, you know, the first step with any of those kinds of problems, though, is to just kind of identify what you want and what the pieces are involved and what the variables are, right? Like, yeah. that's kind of the, the first step in math is figuring out what you're trying to even solve for. Right. And so in this case, like, you know that you want to shoot at a specific target. You know what direction that target is moving and how fast they're moving, generally. And you know the projectile that you want to fire, and you know how fast it moves. Right. So, and you know where you're at, and you know where your projectile will be after you fire it, given some given time, time delta. Right, yeah. Yeah. And, and and so basically, like you know the same thing about both entities, right? You know how fast your projectile is moving and where it's moving from, and you know uh, where the enemy is and how fast they're moving and stuff. And so you just want to find like the vector at which you need to aim to intercept them at the right time and uh, what time that occurs. Those are the two variables that you're solving for there. And... I did a bunch of reading on this topic and there are a bunch of explanations, but it really comes down to it's an algebra problem, right? Yeah. Like, and it's something that's more complicated than I've really dealt with in a lot of ways, this kind of an algebra problem. Um, But essentially like you have those two variables and you need to solve for them. Um, But solving for two variables is hard. So it's a, it's like kind of a multi-step thing, right? Like first you have to solve for the first variable which would be the time that they intersect, I think. And then you then solve for uh, the angle at which you need to fire. Or I, I think actually the way it works is it, it solves for the 
point in space at which they will intersect. Hmm. Um, and then basically what you do is once you solve for that point in space where they will intersect, then you fire at that point in space. Right. Um, but anyways, this is, is an interesting thing because I, I read a whole bunch of articles on it and, you know, like I started with <laughs> some like very math-centric articles, which are a little hard for me to understand because I use a lot of notation that I'm not that yeah. familiar with anymore. Or or ever was, <laughs> ever were. <laughs> you saw them written on a on a chalkboard at some point in your life. I'm Maybe sure. if I was not asleep. Yeah. Um. <laughs> so I read that, and then I I tried to read like some more simplified stuff. Like, okay, here's some Stack Overflow answers or or Game Dev dot Stack Exchange or whatever. Yep. And uh, people trying to explain this in like, you know. But I ended up in like even the simplest posts. There were people like, you know, here's 14 steps to solve this equation and i'm like oh god 14 steps and uh you know part of me feels like i should really just learn this um but it's it's kind of one of those things where i don't have like that problem is too monumentous for me right now you don't have the fundamentals yeah exactly like i'm not that advanced i haven't done that kind of uh algebraic equation solving in a really long time yeah you know and not only that like there's a lot of uh times where like what you're seeing in terms of math you know is kind of mathematical notation and it's not always clear like okay well i understand that you're solving this equation but how do i translate that into code <laughs> you know why can't all mathematical notation be in javascript yeah right exactly <laughs> um so anyways then what i did was like after i was like <laughs> tried to read the stuff like understanding the problem like i understand the problem and i sort of understand the solution but I couldn't write it from scratch and I didn't understand all the steps. Um, then I started looking at like, okay, like how would someone implement this in JavaScript? Like give me some code that I can actually look at. Um, there are a number of uh, implementations for this kind of a thing in JavaScript. So I basically, what I do when I'm learning something that I don't know very well is I don't copy and paste it completely. But what I do is I kind of look at it side by side and I rewrite it in my own style. Yep. Kind of line for line. You study it. I study it, yeah. Um, and so what I ended up with was these couple of functions that will do what I want that I sort of <laughs> comprehend. I hope you called it do what Jeff wants. Yes. Parentheses. <laughs> Parentheses. Um, and I think that's, that's fine. You know, that's like, a, I, I remember doing that a lot when I was first learning programming. Oh, like, yeah, big time. I would find a little snippet of code, and it's like, I don't really understand this, but I'm going to kind of write it in my own style, line by line. So at the very least, like, I know, okay, I've looked at each line, and I feel like I sort of understand it. Um, and then I put it in, and, and then, you know, being able to use a function is sometimes a lot easier than writing that function yourself, especially when it comes yeah. to math. <laughs> We were talking about this uh, recently. I remember, like, my QBasic days, um, there was a lot of magic. You know, I understood some things. I understood it well enough to make whole games with it. But then there was some stuff, like, remember, um, it was, like, comment dynamic? What? Or it was, like, uh, I don't remember. <laughs> there, there, I always hated that when it was, like... Dollar um, sign dynamic? Dollar sign dynamic. Yeah, it was, like, there, there's these commands you have to put inside of comments. Ugh. <laughs> I, I, it really sickens me, because it's, like, it's not what a comment is but there was some things where it was you. like so what does this line of code do and i'm like well like okay jim who basically taught me how to program he explained this to me it makes the variables dynamic it's like why does that matter and it's like so that you don't have to allocate all your memory up front 
like what is and why is that important and i'd be like okay there's there's where you lose me <laughs> i don't know why it matters but i put that line in there and my code works it was that kind of thing back in the day you know right and i remember cgi too uh remember pearl unfortunately there's this like the, all these crazy um pearl commands where it was like okay what do you want to do you want to whoa you want to parse like a, a posted form okay well you need this chunk of code and it was like ah <laughs> just this crazy like cgi bin parse this regex do all this crazy crap and here's some functions you ever heard of and miraculously your you, you will get your post fires there it is you know what i mean <laughs> yeah. whereas like PHP, php would kind of had these niceties for you where it would just abstract all that away from you and you're just like look i just want a variable name can you just can you do that for me well php is kind of written with the web in mind right exactly yeah but there was some other like i remember that you know a lot of times there would be in some programming environment and there's a lot of magic around right and you don't have to have total mastery over everything you're working with you know but you can, sometimes you really want to like it always bugs me when there's a part of the code that I'm working with where I'm like, I don't get that. It feels too magic to me. I want to dig in and understand it, you know? But, I mean, I think it's it's really, it's not required. You know, no, like, it's people not. are able to make really cool stuff and not understand certain parts of it, and that's okay. Yeah. Um, in this particular instance, I felt really okay with it because... Uh, <laughs> Real super okay with super, it. Because it was small. It was like a, a little tiny yeah. function. And it was here. isolated, right? It wasn't right. like, you know, Take this code and put it in every single file in your entire code base or something. No, it's like this one little function. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's and a maybe, specific thing. Yeah. Maybe someday you'll be like, yeah, I got this. I understand that now. Yeah. Well, that's kind of what I'm hoping, right? Like, if you, like, the first step is like identify the problem. And then the second step is find a tool that solves that problem. Right. And then third step is understand how that tool works and be able to write it yourself. Is there a profit in here? Uh, or, probably or not. Tenth? <laughs> 99th? <laughs> And then this is the hundred steps to make a game that's profitable. Publish on Steam, <laughs> make ten bucks. Right, sweet. Uh, anyway, so that's actually in the game, the target leading. Um, hopefully, my understanding of how that <laughs> works at the mathematical level will improve. Um, but it actually works really, really well, and uh, how it's really expensive fun. Is it computationally? Not very. I mean, it's just uh, it's the math. Right, but like most math functions, like it's not doing anything in a crazy loop, right? Yeah, there's, there's no like, <laughs> while I'm moving through time, I don't want to see any while loops. <laughs> yeah, I think that's one of the things that I don't really understand about it is that like it does, you know, it has to calculate two intersection of two things over time, mm-hmm. but it doesn't actually use any looping. I, I get that. You can just use basically like if you can picture a triangle, you just want to scale it out. Right, yeah. There's like in circles, I guess, the radius or something. I don't know. <laughs> it's like two bumbling around through the dark. Huh? <laughs> Jeff, where are you? I think <laughs> no. I don't know where we are. <laughs> help, uh, help. Yeah. One thing that um I don't really understand that I wish I understood better was like the idea of like a quadratic function. Ooh, good word. Yeah. So it like one so of the or actually a couple of the solutions talk about like how you can reduce it to a quadratic function. And then you solve that quadratic function. And so it's kind of like these two pieces. I, I, don't, I don't understand the quadratic function part either. <laughs> so Why are you talking about it? Because that's kind of what I do. I talk don't about talk about it. things you don't understand. Oh, well, oh then, wait. I guess... wait is, that a, is that a tiger hat you have on? <laughs> Carry on. Carry on. I was just saying we wouldn't be, we wouldn't be podcasting very often if <laughs> I couldn't talk about things I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it would be the, the Jeff and Jeff's snowboarding and wow show. Anyways, so uh, yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, something interesting, interesting has also came up because of the target leading is that like it's 
so when I was testing the target leading code, I turned it into something that would target the player mm-hmm. and it would shoot at the player just to see, you know, so I have full control over how the target is moving. Yep. And let me tell you, it is brutal. If I had created an enemy and left it in the game where it was leading the player, no one would survive. Wow. <laughs> it's brutal. You sound very confident. It's really good. Hmm. Um, well, because it's like, it's an instantaneous shot. There's no delay, no warning. Oh, yeah. And oh. <laughs> it tries to shoot where you're going. And like, yeah. I mean, you if you're really squirrely, you can juke it. But yeah, if you're kind of just, you know, moving around like you normally would, it'll just nail you every single time. The only example I can think of from my 25, 30 years of playing video games, I, I know there's been so many target leading examples, but Left 4 Dead have these uh, tanks. They're these giant zombies yeah. that uh, pick up um, giant rocks out of the ground and hurl them at you. And they do target leading. And you m- must pay attention to the target leading. Because <laughs> the way uh, most difficulties um, modes, when, the, when you get hit with that rock, you're just down. That's wow. basically like a, like a hedge. Well, you're not dead. The way the game works is you can get picked back up. Right, right. You're wounded but or whatever. You're wounded. You're down for the count, and you you require your teammates to aid you or you will die. And the leading is really aggressive. There's no, like, if I'm walking this, like, if you're just walking like normal or just standing there, like, you have to have some kind of a strafing going on to dodge that rock, period. Mm. Or it will eat your face. Wow. Yeah. I think it's probably why I remember it the most is because you dealt with that all the time in Left 4 Dead and I was like I usually was playing with um two or three other friends and we were all like it would come up in conversation it wasn't just like you know you're playing a boss and you're like oh the boss is leading me I should strafe out of the way okay I killed the boss there you go it's a very isolated experience you know what I mean yeah but I think it was because it'd be like no no dude he's leading no 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 okay go a little bit to the left back 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 okay 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 you know what I mean it was like you, you had it was front and center the fact that you had to pay attention to that leading but I do think that it added a whole lot of depth to that gameplay because otherwise the tanks were very spongy. You know, if they if their attacks weren't super scary, you would just you know keep a safe distance and shoot them in the face with a machine gun until they died. Right. Yeah. They need to counterbalance their, you know, tankiness. Yeah. They needed to have uh, some really difficult controls like that. Yeah. Anyway. Um. I wonder if they. So I guess the the point I was making here was that I feel like you need to add in some like human error into the mm. leading algorithm right yeah um because <laughs> it's like computers are good at like math. being really dumb yeah they're good <laughs> at math right yeah and and so like it's okay to make make them really dumb right like we have enemies in the game that just kind of move one tile at a time right like they're just they're completely stupid um, <laughs> dumb. so dumb but then it's also like not that much harder to make them stupid good right like we could make an enemy that Every frame adjusts its trajectory towards the player and then also shoots the player, leading them with no warning. You know what I mean? Well, we have that homing behavior. So it could be like, I home at you <laughs> as fast as I can. I approach you and I eat your face. Right. And I mean, it's we can so easily, in fact, it'd be a very easy thing just to be like, there's a monster that kills you instantly. Well, yes, that's <laughs> not what I'm talking about, though. Yeah, but I, I guess like what you're saying is there's a spectrum, right? It's it's easy to make a monster that's really dumb. It's easy to make a monster that's way too smart, and right. somewhere in the middle is where you want to be, and that's <laughs> therein lies the difficulty, right? Yeah, it's like extra code you now have to write to like simulate error, right? Yeah, like if you want the enemy to lead you, you know, it doesn't seem like they should lead you perfectly every single time. Like maybe yeah. you should add in some kind of like, okay, well, 
I know the exact point at which they want to aim, so then I'm going to like randomize it in some threshold to kind of give it some, you know, some error, right? So that's it's why, like, yeah, that's why PvP games have to be so much easier content-wise to make. You're like artificial intelligence, we don't need that. We have right. people intelligence. I mean, look at you know, we play Hots a fair amount, and like it has all these settings for AI. It's like you know, beginner, the medium, and then like elite and adept or whatever. And, like, even the hardest AI is a joke. Yeah. And uh, I think that speaks to difficulty writing good AI. Yeah, it's really hard. It's really hard. Um, People people are good at games. That's an even harder. Like, I don't even know if in HOTS how easy it would be to write, like, a really good AI. Because the game is so complicated, right? Like, the more complicated the game gets, the harder it is. Plus, the AI that we're talking about in our game, where we could make something that easily decimates you every time, is it cheats. Right, Right, yeah. Because it would basically be, you know, because if we made, let's say there's a Raga entity and the only hooks the artificial intelligence has is I have the same controls that the player has where I can move up, I can attack, I can pick up an item or something. Then you're on an even playing field with the player and then writing something that would be, you know, very smart and react to the player accordingly, that'd be really difficult. And Tots can't do that, right? Because it's not like, okay, I'm going to play Zagara and I'm going to teleport to you and do infinite damage and then teleport back. Right. Like, you, you break some rules, right? Like They're not Agent Smith, right? No, yeah. They can't, they can't do whatever they want. They have to, you know, abide by the same rules as... Uh... They, they can only have access to the same controls the player has. Exactly. Right. <laughs> but they have, they have more perfect information about the game world. Yeah, that's true. Um... So, they like they but, they could hide the fact that they don't like um because players can't like there's fog of war right players can't see where you're at but the computer like it knows it doesn't it, it can deny it can deny that information <laughs> to certain bits of artificial intelligence if it wants to but the computer has to like it you know has state right. it knows you're there it does know but that object exactly AI routines might not know so it's really it's all about the restrictions and the restrictions is is probably what makes it so hard to to code that AI right anywho anyways yeah ramble tangent fun fun stuff um anyways the leading stuff is uh is pretty interesting and uh we don't have to worry about it from a player perspective because those shield generators target enemies and not players so it's okay to kind of leave it as like this perfect leading algorithm you know we might uh use that behavior though we should have a boss that leads you and that's like all it does yeah we, you know we just because the leading is cool and we should be like here's a boss where it's all about the leading right that's it Enjoy your leading behavior. Well, we should start with like, here's a leading behavior enemy that's very simple. Mm-hmm. And it just kind of like, you know, that's all it does is sits there and leads you in attacks. And then you see yeah. that same behavior again in a boss. Nice. Ideally. So I guess last and is it least? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Optimizing particle renderer. Optimizing particle renderer. Oh my God. So we have particles in Soul Thief. The first game has more particles, I think. We've kind of cut them down because we wanted the game to run faster. Uh, but definitely there are things like, I think the most common particles are guts. Mm-hmm. Any entity in the game uh, that has a mortal component can have a guts property. And if it has that, it spits out guts. And there's various levers that we can turn. There's the type of guts, which uh, that's hilarious. Sometimes things have very wrong looking guts. And that's kind of funny. Right. Also the amount of guts. And they just kind of shoot out in a mist. And it looks like they have gravity. They just like, just guts. And that's most of the particles. There's others in the game for sure. Oh, the spark, uh, sparklies. On like a chest or a pickup, you see these little shines that kind of appear and disappear. Yeah. So you went through. Did you optimize that stuff or did you make a new I made a new system? one. Well, just because so 
I guess to give you a little bit more context to the way that our particle engine works right now is that it's kind of very heavyweight because each particle in the system is an instance of kind of our scene graph node that can also have its own children and everything like that. Yeah. So like each particle is like the same weight as like a Raga sprite almost. In a lot in of the ways. code, you mean, because all the hooks and you know, exist in this hierarchy and has like right. a view in our code is not simple. It sounds like an easy thing to be like, yeah, it's just a view. It just draws a little sprite. But a view has so many hooks on it. Like there's events, there's the children. There, it is now in part of the, the main loop of the game. It needs to be rendered. It needs right. to be updated. It can have tweens. It can have opacity. It can have all these canvas operations. And it kind of makes sense, right? Because particles also can have all those things. Like yeah, you can sure. rotate particles. They can have their own rotation. They can have their own opacity. They can right. have their own X, Y position. But there are some things that like they're just never going to have like children, or at least you don't want them to have, right? There's a better way to create a particle engine than that very high level concept of like, well, it's just a view with a whole bunch of child views. Right. And all the heavyweight code that comes along with rendering that whole like node of the like that whole branch of the scene graph. Yeah. Whereas what's a better way to do that is like, you know, all the particles are generally going to be the same for a given particle emitter. Right. Or at least they're going to be like in the same sprite sheet that, uh, you know, you can just kind of change the, the draw frame almost. Right. Um, and so it's a lot easier if it kind of works more like how the tile maps work, where it's like just one view. And it knows what it wants to draw, like where that exists on a sprite sheet. And then it just keeps track of like a position, you know, an array of positions essentially for each particle in a lifetime or whatever else it needs to know about each particle. Nice. And then just draws them like in a very tight, uh, optimized loop instead of, you know, essentially having to traverse a whole branch of scene graph that actually gets, you know, quite deep and numerous because particles, there's like, you know, dozens of particles in a particle emitter usually sometimes. Dozens of particles. Dozens, up to and including dozens of particles. <laughs> so it's actually one of the areas where I feel like the scene graph like starts to break down because, you know, it's kind of scaling the scene graph in a way that like other parts of the system don't scale it. Like having so many children and then having each of those children not have any children, but it has to go through all the checks of like, hey, do I have to render any children for this particle? Right. Which, you know, that's just kind of wasted time. Kinda. Um so I wanted to take a different approach to the particle render and um another thing too is that like, you know, it kind of creates this like weird setup where you have like a particle emitter that may have that you may subclass and has its own properties, and then like you tell it the particle view template that you're gonna use and that has its own properties. And it can be like subclass and whatever else. And it's just, it's way too complicated, I think, for mm -hmm. what I want. Because I really just want like one object. And all it does is it just draws particles and the particles can rotate. They can have opacity. They can have like pseudo physics and stuff. So I kind of just wrote it from scratch with that in mind. Nice. Um, and I think it works pretty well. It's definitely uh, leaner than our current implementation. Um, but one thing I ran into is that whenever you need to transform things individually uh it gets really difficult to avoid like setting canvas transformations for each particle mm -hmm. and so even though it's a pretty optimized loop and it's faster it still you know has to transform the canvas every single particle basically because each particle rotates 
separately, right? Right. And particle rotation is one of those things where, like, uh, you probably want it, <laughs> right? Like, you scaling and rotating particles, which would be the two reasons that we'd have to transform in the particle renderer loop. Um, it's pretty common, right? Like, having a particle scale up or scale down as it over its lifetime is something we do a lot. Um, and having it rotate is something that we do a lot too. Mm-hmm. So it's almost, there's almost no getting around the fact that you have to do a canvas transform per particle almost. I mean, you could, in a more optimized system, you could say, if there is no transformation of this particle, then don't bother. But I don't know. Hmm. The common, you know, I, I try to optimize for the co- most common use case, yeah. which is that it's going to be rotating and scaled or you know, one of one of or both of those operations. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, and then there's also like each particle has its own opacity as well, and so like you also have to set global global alpha per particle. Yeah. So what's the status of this? Is this in the game, or is this something we're gonna have to like, you know, grab the current particles, remove them, and then replace them with the new stuff? It's gonna be that, yeah, the latter. Okay. Gotcha. Um, because you know the the current particles the way that they're implemented is just not there's not an easy way to optimize it yeah like they just can't be each particle can't be a full view right it really just need you know ideally each particle is as little as data as possible the other nice thing about this the way that i've done this particle system is that all particle emitters can share a pool of particle objects Ooh. so that's also a nice big win whenever we create a particle even if the particle is different than a previous particle in terms of like how it's drawn or what sprite is representing that particle that data that object that represents that particle can be pooled and used by any particle emitter in the system so that beats having to create new views all the time and then trash them because you know garbage collection right hates that and <laughs> it, it's harder to pool the objects we had before because they were kind of like their own sometimes subclasses right yeah. So you have like, you know, this particle, this guts particle is like, like I think guts particle is like actually a class, right? And so when you create guts particles, it instantiates a gut particle object. And like, I don't think that it'd be very easy to reuse the gut particle object in a different particle emitter. Right. So that was another thing that uh, I wanted to get out of this was just really efficient pooling uh, of those particle objects because those are one of the shortest lived and highest churn objects in the system. Yeah. Hmm. I mean, which makes sense, right? Like it's emitting particles all the time and those things, right. the particles just almost always last for, you know, less than a second sometimes. Yeah. Maybe a couple seconds at max. Um, anyway, so I'm pretty happy with where that ended up. It's, uh, I feel like the implementation is simpler, it's faster, and uh, it's even more optimized. Nice. But... The problem with any of this stuff is that now, you know, now the, now the actual refactoring has to happen, which is like, let's make use of this new You've made a bunch system. of work for us. <laughs> Thanks, Jeff. I think the way to attack it, though, is to like, you know, use it for new particle effects. Yeah. And then uh, kind of go back and, and trash out. That's kind of what we did with other refactors, right? I made like a better text renderer at some right. point. And then it just kind of lived side by side with the other text renderer. And then, you know, we just kind of kept using the new one when new stuff came up and like right. refactoring the old one as it became an issue or something. We've got that with our behaviors right now. There's an old yeah. system called the scripting system, which is kind of 
it's fine and it works, but it's a little flawed. And yeah. there's the new behavior, not really trees. It's more like a... It's like a finite state machine. It's like a state machine, but we call it behaviors in that code base. Right. But it's kind of the new hotness. And there's not that many. I think it's just the turret, which um, I was... <laughs> I've done this twice now. I've looked at turret and I'm like, is that the last script? Maybe if, if I just cut that out and replace that with the behavior, then we can get this big chunk of code gone. It is the most... It is like the 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 last biggest remaining script, yeah. the turret one. I think everything else that is a script instead of a behavior right now is less of a problem. But the turret yeah. is like used across several entities right now, so it's actually kind and of a, a hard refactor. It's so feature rich. It's not because yeah. we started in such a simple place. I think it was the plant from AWL one was like, I'm gonna sit here and I'm gonna spit a skull at you every three seconds. That's it. Right. But everything started to use it, and it was like, um, I can also now spawn something special when I get hurt. Um, I can spawn something when I die. I worry more about, like, pits or location, or, like, I've got this phase where I'm invulnerable. Like, maybe the clam has that. There's all these complications in there. Right. <laughs> so I, I'd be like, okay, here we go. Refactor. Nope. <laughs> nope. Get JK. We're done here. Yes. Yes. Backing out slowly. <laughs> Quickly, actually. Yes. <laughs> I'm gone. Run screaming down the hall. Pretty much. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I'll probably tackle that at some point. I, the best way to do that one is just leave turret alone and to basically make new behaviors for all the yeah. entities. And then right. once there's nothing else depending on it, then you just destroy it. Yeah. Uh, which is kind of from better what? anyway, because like our new system is more modular. Yeah. And so, you know the turret behavior itself would be kind of abstracted across a bunch of different files. And then, right. you know, like the clam specifically would have some invulnerability state that the other ones don't. Yeah. Anywho. Good stuff. Yeah. I actually ran into that same problem with, uh, I wanted to update the clam's behavior to do something different, but because the clam was using this old code, like I felt like I first needed to refactor it to the current system to be a baseline. And then start working on, or maybe at the same time, work on like the way in which I want the clams behavior to work. Right. But, you know, it's hard because it kind of works right now and it's a lot of work to get it to do what I want. And so I haven't. Games are hard. Yeah. News is a lot. Welcome to Lost Cast. Anyways, uh, yeah, so hopefully that was an interesting tech discussion this week. More techie than a talk about a trip to Boston, for sure. That's true. But hey, it's, uh, you know, it's the variety show. It is. You never yeah. know what you're going to get. Which which slice of this complicated thing that is trying to carve out a living making games. There are many slices. Today was your technical slice. <laughs> Next week uh, might be some more game design slice. Ooh, I like game design slice. So, uh... <laughs> We put the Wizards Lab in AWL2 on Steam on early access. So yeah. uh, if you haven't checked it out, you know, please do. It's pretty pretty cool. Uh, we're going to continue to populate that with more monsters, traps, and a final boss, which maybe we'll talk about the final boss design more on next week's episode. Next week. Cool. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Anyways, that's all we have for you this week. So uh, don't forget to drop by the forum and say hi at forum.lostigatgames.com. Once again, thank you to our patron backers. Your support means a lot to us, and you can check that out at patreon.com slash games. Ship it.
Sound like the the people from Galaxy Quest. We need your help. We're being eaten alive by giant alien things. Only you can save us. That wasn't that good. Yeah, it's pretty close though. So. I need I need to watch it again. Well, I actually watched that um recently. I think it's on Netflix. I don't think I had seen that thing. Yeah, it's on Netflix. I, if I it's on Netflix. It. I'll probably watch it because I have at Netflix. At least in its entirety. I feel like it's one of those movies I had seen. Uh, bits and pieces of on TV here and mm, there. Yeah. But I never actually sat down and watched it end to end. I think it's one of those movies uh, when it, like, you, you very seldom will watch it. Like, I'm going to sit down and watch Galaxy Quest now. But if it pops on for some reason, then. Like, uh, hey, you Galaxy watch Quest, it. sure. Yeah. I'm, I'm like that with uh, Gattaca. Oh, man, I love Gattaca. Any movie that starts with G. <laughs> so if there's like a movie called Gargantuan or something, then you'd be like, hey, it's on. <laughs> I feel like that's less of a thing, though, these days, since there's no... I mean, TV exists, but like, not in my life. You know, I haven't had actual television in, like, seriously 15 years. Yeah, there's less like, hey, let's see what's on and just watch whatever it is. Right, like, I don't just turn on the TV and flip around. It's more like you open Netflix and stare at an endless sea of things, and you're like, okay, that's two hours, three hours. Like, I want... Like, entertain me for a minute. <laughs> I wonder if I really want to flip channels. They should just have, like, a Netflix stream that just... They just pick random crap and play it for you. Like, how about this? Huh. That'll be I our next uh, smart Netflix channels, man. That's brilliant. That's our next idea right there. <laughs> we'll make a million. Pivot. Pivot time. It's now lost decade entertainment. I'm gonna start writing a video streaming server. I believe that you will. And uh we'll go from there. <laughs> we'll go somewhere from there. <laughs> <laughs> Probably, Probably to the poorhouse. Yes. 